Anything specific you want us to ask you about or just let it flow? Yeah, just let it flow. All right. Maybe not the non-permanent flipping. <laughs> 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 You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I'm an associate broker with Arlerat Properties. Uh, my name is Sarah Frank. I'm also on the District Invest Group with Russell. I'm a realtor licensed in Maryland and DC. And this week we're talking to our buddy uh, Ryan Greenberg. We allowed someone from Baltimore to come onto a DC uh, podcast. Jeez, nasty the... Baltimore. <laughs> Uh, I don't even live in Baltimore. Who, who was just posting about looking for an office it in Baltimore? <laughs> yeah. I need an office. I was like, oh, well, I have one, but not after you just said all those nasty things about Baltimore. I love Baltimore. Well, I said the nasty things. That's she true. didn't. That's Clearly, true. I live in Baltimore. You don't even live in Baltimore. I know I don't, but I rep Baltimore because I have to. Where do you live? I live in Sparrow Park. Okay. Yeah, I was in Baltimore for a long time, and I love Baltimore. I love some some things about Baltimore, um, but my now the things you like must be the high taxes, the crime. Yeah, mostly the crime. Um, fearing that you're going to get robbed at any moment. Yeah. No, it's you know obviously my business is there. We bought a bunch of houses there. It's a fun little city. Um, but my wife, my now wife, dragged me to the suburbs and refused to live in the city. So. You know, it's a, make the that's commute. a narrative I am familiar with myself. Yeah. But if I was you're not DC... married, like imagine living in the suburbs. <laughs> no, it'd be really boring. You'd be by yourself. Yeah. He's close. No, 100%. 100%. And I, I lived there for six years. I started investing. I started buying properties, living in them, moving out, moving into the next one and did that. And that's a great place to do it because the barrier to entry is so low that if you're willing to live like hood adjacent, which I did for a while, north of the park. How north? Does matter? It doesn't matter as I long mean, as you're north of the park. Two blocks north yeah. of the park. So I started anymore. on the unit block, and then I went all the way up to the 200 block. And okay. so that's yeah. not so. I mean, nowadays. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. But so we started um, buying up there in like 2016 when it was definitely there was some some stuff going on, some activities. Ten years ago, you didn't go north of the park at all. So right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely moving in that direction, and. One of the reasons I've done well is because of North of the Park. I was buying properties in 2016 for 30 grand, and now they're worth. I just had one appraise on 233, so I bought 218 North Rose in like 2017 for 34 grand. I just bought 233 North Rose, renovated it, just appraised at 242. So like the the appreciation over there is just insane. It's gone up eight mm -hmm. times. It's crazy. Uh, the value in 10 years. Right. So why not buy in that area? Because a lot of Hopkins people still choose to live in those blocks. Like the, the rent is cheaper. If you literally go five blocks south, the rent increases by 30%. Yeah. So it's like, why not? If you're somebody that doesn't, isn't scared. Well, one of the interesting things about uh, Baltimore, so right, you use the term hooded jace, right? Like, uh, the nicest areas of Baltimore are right next to like areas that are not nice at all. Right. Like it is a very quick transition in many parts of the city. Well, they love the block by block. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. But, you know, I see a lot of as somebody that works with investors like from out of state that don't understand the city. And a lot of people contact me after, unfortunately, they've already 
gotten hit pretty hard on some way or the other, whether the house keeps getting robbed, whether the contractors robbed them, whatever. If you don't know the city and you're somewhere far away trying to invest in the city, it looks great on paper, but if you're not there and you don't know those blocks, you can really get yourself in deep trouble. This might be a blanket <clears throat> statement. There's not a single turnkey provider that is trustworthy in Baltimore. PE property management does. Well, yeah. <laughs> sure. But you but, guys aren't like advertising yourselves as this is this huge service you do. We don't turnkey. turn, so we don't sell the turnkey properties. We sell the properties before they're turnkey so the clients get that appreciation piece. Yeah. So that's that's our kind of model. Um, we don't market it as much to like everybody because we have like 12 clients that are killers and they just keep us going and I'd rather just sell it to them and know that we're going to close. They have their expectation. I know exactly what they want. I'm not sending it to a buyer's list of 150 people and have to sift through a bunch of tire kickers or people that are never going to close. Uh, I'd rather just focus those efforts on, I have a person in California. I have a person in South America, now a new lady in New Zealand. And they are, that's what they do. They're real estate investors. Well, you know, time. we jumped right into this conversation. You mentioned PE property oh, management. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned you work with investors. <laughs> but we haven't actually talked about what you do. And one, one of the oh, things man. that you do is one of the things I, I, you're one of the, my favorite types of people is you have multiple streams of income, multiple businesses all sort of tied together. So tell us about a rundown of your different types of businesses. So the elevator pitch is we are a full service vertically integrated real estate investment company. So we do everything from the acquisition side. We have a small team of agents that solely focus on auction properties, off-market deals, um, low-balling MLS offers, and they acquire these properties. They either take them in-house, keep them for ourselves if they're deals that we would, you know, put in our buy box, or then if we don't want them, we sell them to out-of-state investors. Then we handle the construction of that property. We have a licensed general contracting home building company, handles the construction. And then after that, it either goes to be sold with the same team that bought it, or we manage it with our property management company. So that's kind of the, we were buying and doing all this stuff ourselves and realize that there's money in doing it for other people. And we don't have all the money to buy all the houses, but if we helped others, we could take a small piece of the puzzle or the pie and kind of make a little bit less than if those investors went to a la carte, I call it. Yeah. Like they found you as a broker, then they found this person as the contractor, then this person as the property manager. Like my listing fee is going to be a point less than if they went to another broker, just because I want them to keep everything under my Keep roof. everything in the same ecosystem. So you can right. get maybe, maybe, like you said, you take a small cut here or a small cut there, but you're making you're making profit on Every so many step. different points. So yep. it all adds up to, you know, exactly. a respectable living. So now I've also negotiated with my hard money company that any hard money that I broker through them, I get a point on that. And then now I'm moving brokerages to actually my law firm who owns a brokerage and they own a title company. I'm going to start trying to get a piece of that title company. Every, even if it's $200, every transaction, right. it does add up. It, add, it all adds up. Yeah. So I love this. So most of the acquisitions and rehabs you're doing are in Baltimore City, right? Not not exclusively. Yeah, not exclusively, but Baltimore City, Baltimore County, um, that's where we're heavy. Yeah. And then we have some stuff going on um, 
in Anne Arundel County. And then we do have some stuff down in Montgomery County, but I don't want anybody to know about those because I don't want to come down here very often. <laughs> but no, most of it, 90% of it's in uh, Baltimore City, Baltimore. Well, County. and honestly, the, the profit you make among, if you're talking about a flip or something in, along those lines, like the profit you make on that isn't any different usually than the profit you make in Baltimore, but with substantially more capital uh, being deployed to create that. Right. And, and the stuff that I get down here is all... I work for lending companies that foreclose on people that take over properties. And then I'm the one that has to clean up the mess basically on the contracting side and then manage it long term, which is why I've reached out to you recently about yep. that office building over in Gaithersburg, because I was like, oh, I took this over. And I don't know. I don't know the first thing about leasing commercial buildings in Gaithersburg. <laughs> like I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to drive to Gaithersburg. But I had to take that because it comes with a big package right. of other properties. So you, you turn you turn one away and suddenly there forty five properties under management disappeared. Yeah. So, and I, I thought that was an interesting because uh, I don't I don't manage or sell office space in Rockville or Gaithersburg because there's one brokerage here that like literally controls like ninety percent of that that segment. Um, and they're old they're old school guys. So we sent you over to him, and he's actually the guy who sold me this this office condo we're sitting in. Yeah, he's been he's been great to work with so far. And I was like, do I need to do anything to the place? He's, he's been really good. And so hopefully he gets it rented. But yeah, so that's that's basically, you know, the pitch on on what I do. Just a little bit of everything. Well, and you have an awesome podcast and a meetup. Yes. The podcast and the meetup are things that came um, later. Actually, the the podcast came and then the, the meetups came because of last year at Bigger Pockets. I, the the conference, I heard somebody just say like, you need to have a meetup. Like you just, you need to have a meetup. And I was like, you know what? I probably should have a meetup. I have this like platform now that people know. So like, why not have a meetup? And they've been wildly successful. Yeah. They're fun. There's people out there. you've stepped up because we've been slacking hard on the meetup. So there are people (laughs) want to go out and meet other people interested in real estate. It's really that simple. Right. And and what I've really focused on it, and I've been to so many meetups where I'm just bored to death where I'm just like, oh God, this person keeps talking and talking and talking about whatever projects they're doing or whatever, how much money they made. I just want to go in there, like throw a party and give away everything that we made. So like we get sponsors, I buy, I give away money, I give away TVs, whatever. I think you want to screen from, <laughs> from that. Like, like if I, if I get $6,000 worth of sponsors, I buy all the food, I buy all the drinks and then I give it all away. And, and that's what, and I don't talk about myself. I don't, I only talk about the sponsors for a quick second and the rest of it's party. I'm not trying to sit everybody down in a room and have some guy that claims to be a guru up there talking with a spreadsheet or, or PowerPoint, like those boring to me. Like, so we make it more of a party. Oh yeah. And people like that. Yeah. I mean, it's always good to have learn if you have an interesting, engaging speaker, but the, the real power is in people meeting each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that accelerates your business huh. hundred and, times faster than reading a book or listening to someone talk. So one of the things that I felt like I, I really wanted to focus on was getting the right people to the meetups too. And then like the killers are not coming to listen to somebody else run a PowerPoint. Huh. They're just coming to have a drink, talk about whatever they're doing, you know, with other people that are high level. So I'm really trying to focus on those people and give them a place to go because there's so many of these, you know, kind of beginner meetups and stuff, but there's nothing that's just like a common social hour. Just like come talk BS and, uh, you know, have a good time. And seriously, it's how so much of the business is done, right? Like we sold a flip earlier in the year to, uh, Wesley and his partner. And, um, we don't have to put like, if we get a deal, we don't have to go put it on the MLS and beg 
you know, hundreds of people to come see it. We already know who's going to, who can buy it, right? It's just yeah. as simple as one or two phone calls. Like that's how and you're high level get, this business is done. And you're able to get smarter too, because I know that they and you buy properties, but probably out of every hundred properties people send to me, I probably send you guys three or two because I know what they're looking for. And I yeah. know 90% of it because you know how wholesalers are. They use a random number generator to do ARV. Yeah. They do the craziest <laughs> stuff. So if I'm like, if I send this to Wesley and Dan or to anyone that you meet at these meetups, they're going to laugh at me. And I know that's the case. So it allows you to get smarter and well, more like targeted too. I think that's how you get good deals too is like, you know, the the one that I just bought in, in uh, Beltsville from Wesley and Daniel, they were like, they tried to sell me that property for 350, which is what they had it listed for. And I was like, I'm a buyer at 305. And they're like, well, I have it locked in at 335. Okay, go ahead. So they locked it in at 335. Then they call me, oh, that guy fell on a contract. Can you buy for 325? I'm a buyer at 305. <laughs> call me when it's 305. And they said, oh, no, I think we got it for 350, got it locked for 315. This is going on for weeks now, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, we'll sell. They texted me that. And I'm like, okay, sell it. And, I, and I've been joking with them about this forever now because since I bought it, because the day before Christmas, Wednesday, they call me. They said, we just fell out of contract. The problem is the contract expires Monday, the Monday after Thanksgiving. So I have exactly one day. They're like, can you buy it for 305? <laughs> so I had one day to get 305 into, into escrow because Monday we had to fund because those people were moving Monday, the, the sellers of that property. So I called my, my one lender. He's like, I can't do it today. Like it's literally two o'clock on the day before Thanksgiving. I can't do it. Like I can't do it. I can't do it. And ended up calling two or three of my, my lenders and got the money out. And I bought it that Monday at 305. But like, if you would have called me from the beginning, we would have had that deal locked and done and they made money on it. They made good money. I saw what they made. And like the, you gotta be a real buyer and you get real deals. If you're not, then you, people are like, you're going to send you BS deals. A lot of tire kickers out there. Yep. Yeah. We had, wasn't there property like this, someone sent you and you, you asked me to double check what I thought it was worth, and it was exactly what you had told told oh, them. Oh, the DC one. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, was that was that same? Was that Wesley too? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, but they don't. They're not in DC. Yeah. And they had asked. I think like Keith James yes, told them they had and, one under contract. That was when we were in Florida together. Yeah. Wesley was there, and he tried to sell it. Some random dude came up to him, and then like they found out that there was wholesalers. Then they he was in DC. There was a weird situation and then uh i guess they they ended up locking it up or something and too high yeah because yeah. I, I, I looked at it and i was like well the comps are here and they're like well someone someone else said that the comps are here and you, you i think he said <laughs> you dc people are weird and i was like yeah like there are some areas where block to block there might be you can only comp on one block or something but it's like no this is like the cap you can get in this neighborhood yeah. period no matter the block um but lessons learned it's, it's hard to do things if you don't live there and you don't well, the like other Baltimore thing, is, yeah, if you're if you're someone who's used to flipping in Baltimore too, and you're thinking of certain margins, and you go to DC, you may not realize how much dramatically more the rehab costs are in DC versus yeah. just being outside oh, yeah. of the district. I mean, oh, cosmetic 100%. on like a small thing is a hundred at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, actually, the last small cosmetic flip we did was probably one hundred and twenty-five. On a pretty small yeah. property. The thing in Baltimore that I, I notice, uh, and it's kind of a dangerous game, but 
there's places that you can buy for cheap, but the ARV is going to be really high if you get an appraisal done for like a burr, but you'll never, ever sell it for that amount Yeah, because like you're on the wrong block. But the, they, the, but the, the appraiser's not looking at that. He can't. Like there's no way of them really putting, what do they put down? Oh, there's more trash on this block. Well, it's, it's literally 0.1 miles away. You can't not take it, but one's 400,000. It wouldn't sell for 250, but you get 400,000 as an ARV and great if you're burring, but if you have to, if you get into some, some shit and you have to sell, Mm -hmm. you're going to be in, in some trouble for sure. Cause you're going to be way over, you know, way over leverage. Probability of getting into shit in Baltimore is very high. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on who you're targeting. Like I love those like Canton four bedroom, three bathroom, 25 year old, fresh out of Hopkins. Like that's my target. That's what I like to buy. That's what I want to rent. Like 25 year olds from Hopkins that have four roommates, they have three bathrooms and they all pay 800 bucks a month each. When with those, are you renting them out by the room or is it on like a master lease? I have only one, one house that I'm doing room by room. The rest of them are on a master lease and I make them, if they're like changing roommates, I make them we change the lease, we make it the same terms, but we just change the person. Yeah. They got to find the person. They have to find them. Yeah. Yep. And typically the people like to, we, we do a lot of good deals for like 36 month, 12, you know, 24 month lease, 36 month lease. So usually there's one like head of house that kind of takes charge yeah. and we'll infill. If somebody leaves, they'll infill because they don't want to go find another place or they're in it for a four year residency or whatever, whatever it is, they're stuck there for this amount of time and they'll just infill underneath them. And it's always the same type of person. It's the, you know, 23 to 25 year old Hopkins resident at Hopkins, whatever. So and that's going to be a responsible paying tenant, which right. is great too. Their dad has a fidelity account with $2 million in it. Like yeah. that's the, that's the target that I'm look, looking to go with. Um, I have zero headaches with all of those properties. Like a hundred percent of my headaches, the ones that I manage are lower income, you know, kind of just Baltimore shit boxes, if I can say that. <laughs> well, I'm t- familiar with them. <laughs> it's tough because some of those can be, if you find the right tenant, good. Oh no, they're great. They're they're. But so, it takes one bad tenant to make you yeah, want to light your hair on you fire. You can make a lot of money if you do it right, but you're gonna deal with headaches no matter what, and they're gonna be different headaches. Like, you know, you might they might not complain that the ice machine's not working, like some of the higher end tenants, but they might also not call you when their basement's filling with water. <laughs> so like, there's those kind of issues where like we literally had a tenant where like the basement was full of water and they didn't tell us like until like everything wasn't working and they were like, nothing's working. I don't know what's going on. Like, well, you know, there's, it's flooded. Like, like the HVAC's underwater. Yeah. Like everything's <laughs> underwater. Like, of course it's not working, you know, like there's no, None of my four bedroom Canton houses that would ever happen. Oh, you'd know immediately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got the, I had this triplex in um, Boston and uh, one of the units had oil heat and it's on the top of a hill. And so the uh, tenants called the oil company too late in the season where the, the street already had ice and snow. So the oil truck couldn't get up the hill to come refill it. Well, they never tell me. I find out that they get no heat because the pipes freeze and the unit below them, the dude calls me. He's like, I've got water pouring through my ceiling. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Um, so I call my brother to go over there cause he lived in the area and he's like, yeah, your tenants on the middle floor here have no heat. So the pipes burst. <laughs> so the pipes burst and you know, they're, they're lower income. They're, uh, uh, from another country, they're not here legally, so they don't want to bother the landlord when they don't have heat. Um, 
but that causes me more headaches and more right. damage by not allowing, telling me that there's a problem. Yeah, that um, I had a bonehead tenant actually in a high-end property in Federal Hill that last year, I don't know if you guys remember, um, Christmas and Christmas Eve was like crazy cold. It was mm-hmm. like bone chilling cold. And of course these people, they go home for the holidays. Well, they turn the heat off and literally the the house was full of water because multiple pipes burst. There was no heat. The neighbor's house ended up filling up with water. I think I remember you posted this. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! It the was like Christmas house. Day. You so, were there. Yeah. So yeah, Christmas Day. There's the house. The house is so full of water that the the water seeping through the walls to into the neighbor's house and filling up the neighbor's basement. Oh now. my god. Yeah. So this so, was that when you were managing or when this you This is when I manage, yeah. So how yep. did you how did you deal with that with the owner? Um well they had to go through insurance. They went through their insurance and uh you know, we ended up fixing it all and getting paid for it luckily, but like it was a disaster. the people couldn't live there. They, luckily they were away and they didn't come back and we kind of just told them like, "Hey, don't come back. <laughs> like, you have nowhere to go. Um, and we ended up fixing it and it cost, you know, it was tens of thousands of dollars to, to fix, but it was a disaster on Christmas day because some, somebody that's like a smart person, like these are like smart people just turn the heat off. Like, why would you do that? There's a very big difference. I learned this, like being at school in Maryland with like very smart computer science girls in my sorority, you know, and we all live together. The stuff you don't know about houses is a lot if you're never doing yeah. any of that. Like I was lucky to learn that stuff growing up, but man, the potential for error. I mean, what'd you do about the neighbor's houses? We paid, we fixed it. Did right? they have to go through insurance and then their insurance paid? Um, I remember that we gave their insurance, co- we gave the insurance companies the number but I don't remember what happened with payment. I got paid from the owner of the property. Okay. So insurance is such a nightmare. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No. I, and did it affect uh, both neighbors or just one? Side? I believe it was just the one side. Yeah, I think it was just the one side because it was an unfinished wall. Yeah. So it was like you know any kind of penetration in the brick or mortar just would just seeped right seeped through. right yeah. through it. Yeah. So just another fun. Property management is is a crazy business. Had I known about all this stuff, I probably wouldn't be. Wouldn't have gotten into it. And it's not exactly a high margin business by any means either. No, no, it's volume and you're just dealing with headaches. And like the way I describe to people, if you're trying to get into property management, it's like there's one party, it's kind of like politics. There's always one party that's not happy because if if something happens at a property to a tenant and then you go ahead immediately fix it and then charge the owner, the tenant's happy, the owner's not happy. Then if the tenant's, you know, not paying, the tenant's happy. The owner's not happy. <laughs> like, there, there, there's like just so many situations where there's you can't win in both situations because it seems like no landlord and tenant can be happy at the same time. No, they they believe that they're in some sort of confrontational war with each other. Right, um, right. And I just have to play the middleman. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Like this is, you know. And then you get owners that, okay, I'm not going to fix the water machine on the on the fridge. Like. Okay, well, now I got to tell the tenant that they're not going to be able to drink filtered water because, like, okay, that's an annoying thing to hear as a as a tenant. Like, there's just so many of these situations, like the college house that I, one of the college places that I was managing. Um, I own one college house that I've learned the hard way and now manage it perfectly. But I had a group of students that lived in in a, it was a triplex, and they fought. They were fight, like, just bickering. Between the units. Between the units. Okay. Music's too loud. This person's bringing people here. This per- and they're all bickering. And then they're putting me in these group chats. 
Now, and they're all girls, right? So they're all college age girls putting me in group chats with each other. Tell them to turn the fuck music off. Blah, blah, blah. They're yelling at each other, fighting. And I'm watching text chains like, duh, 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 duh. I haven't answered. I haven't said a thing. And they're fight and I'm watching them. So I finally had to have like a really, like I was like, hey. And I was a teacher for, for 10 years of my life. I was a public school teacher for 10 years. So I know how to handle kids. So these are like adults, you know? <laughs> this was their Morgan students. And I, I went to each apartment and I was like, look, these people are your neighbors. I'm not like a mediator of any sort. I'm your landlord. You live in this apartment. They live in this apartment. If you have complaints with them, what I suggest is not banging on the floor, <laughs> knocking on their door and saying, hey, we have a test tomorrow. Can you not play the music so loud? Instead of texting your landlord with 30 texts in a row, like this person's playing that this person's doing this. I'm like, just talk to them like as human beings, like just talk. And they 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 could not get through it. And then I was like, I finally said, well, then call the cops. That's what I said. Don't I said, do it. I said, call the cops. If that's if that's if this is where we're at, then call the cops. I can't do anything else because all I am is here to collect the rent, make sure that you have a clean and healthy place to live and fix the shit when it goes wrong. I'm not here to help you fight with this person. I'm not taking sides. I don't care whose music it was. I don't care what song it was. Just please figure it out with each other or call the police and let them figure it out. And I, I stopped hearing from them and stopped placing college kids in that unit because of that situation yeah. and then learned how to place college students. <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people that run group houses or have multifamilies with uh, students and all of them, um, all, all of them at some point learn that they're not just the landlord. They have to act as a surrogate parent. Yeah. Um, Unless you're renting like exclusively <laughs> to the frat groups who you you know that they know that you know they're going to destroy the house. Yeah. They know that you know that you, that they know that you're keeping the security deposit. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know the house is going to get destroyed. It, but worst case, you can call daddy, you know? Yep, like, that's, and that's what I did. I had it. I had one house le leased to a fraternity. They left, and I had a really hard time uh, putting it on Zillow and finding a new group of students to live there. Like, I was getting a lot of Section 8 people. It's a six-bedroom house right off of Towson's campus, like a mile away. And uh, right on the city side, so you can actually rent to more than more than two people. And I couldn't find a group, so I ended up doing the room-by-room -room thing. And I was very specific on, like, what I did with... I did co-ed. I wanted to do co-ed because I feel like they get along better because there's like different personalities that, so I did floor by floor. So like the first floor was male, second floor is female, third floor is male, and they all have their own bathrooms that they share. And I've had not a single fight or complaint with any of them. And they're all very, very different people. Well, if you watch National Geographic, there's a science behind this. They're, they're, they're peacocking. They don't <laughs> yeah. want to be perceived by the opposite sex as acting on, as being on one or right. anything like that. Yeah, I thought that would keep people from like bringing too many people over too, because like if we're all living together and you bring somebody over every single day, I'm going to eventually get pissed. Yeah. And then that means less people in the house, less damage to the house. So it's been working out good so far. And I increased my cash flow like crazy yeah. amount. And I, I think you find uh, male tenants tend to keep their places cleaner when there's females around too. Yeah. Absolutely. Theoretically. Yeah. Until they get married. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then, then all bets are off. Yeah, peacocking. Yeah. It's like you're dating a representative yeah. of the person for the first couple of years and then it backs out. Uh, yeah, I, I've done, when I, since I got married, I've actually become cleaner because I'm tired of hearing 
about <laughs> not being clean. So, so eventually it so does work. So what you're work. saying is nagging work? Yeah, it works. It really does work. I mean, if she didn't nag me and complain, then I probably wouldn't do anything about it. So, you know, there's something to be said about that too. So it works. Good. It works. Good to know. What, what I also did at that, that college house that I didn't do before is I have a cleaning lady that I pay that goes every three weeks and she cleans all the common spaces. I, I set it up as almost like an Airbnb. It has like kitchenware. It has a couch. I, I furnished only the common spaces. And she goes every single, well, every three weeks and takes photos for me. And every time it's been like, besides some dishes being left over or something stupid like that, like it's been very well taken care of. Well, and speaking of Airbnb, Ugh. how's your, <laughs> you don't want to talk about it? No, no, no. The midterm rental going. The midterm rental in Baltimore, I hate it. So much. What neighborhoods it in? It's in Highland Town. It's above my office. Okay. It's a nice little like it's a nice little block. It's um, it's just like you're constantly finding a tenant. So I I luckily have somebody that's in there for three months now that were happens to just work. My lawyer co- contacted me. Two of her associates needed a place to live, so she, they're moving. They moved in there for three months, but. I hate looking for this, like the next tenant. I'm constantly looking, hitting people up on Furnish Finder. They don't hit me back. I'm doing showings on FaceTime and I'm just wasting so much time. Do yourself a favor and delete Furnish Finder. This is a hot take. I think it's the biggest waste. The landlords on there aren't serious and the nurses know that. So they know they're not going to get answers. So they don't even use it. I do. I give like, if it's a nurse, I give them a deal on rent if they bring me the next person. Mm-hmm. I tried. I did try that. I told her half month. I'd give her half month back if she found the next person, and she just didn't. And then I was vacant for like a month and a half, and then finally I put somebody in there. But like the way I'm looking at it is, if I'm vacant for like a month in between these people, I'd rather just take less and put it long term and just have somebody in there and stop worrying about finding the next person you are so, a little a little bit north too for the nurses yeah that's because i've sent it out and i think that's a general yeah. feedback they Baltimore's... really want like heart of canton or fells point and not even like butcher's hill they want fells point yeah. proper i get it baltimore city's got to be a 90 day stay right yes yeah, yeah 90 day mm-hmm. so yeah. no no opportunity maybe start running it out hourly <laughs> oh man, that would be great for my staff downstairs. <laughs> it's bad enough the dog scurrying around upstairs, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd have to re-insulate probably. Um, but up plastic sheeting. Yeah, I, so my Airbnb in Florida is killing it. Like that's like, booked. Well, you seem like the number one tenant. I am. <laughs> You're I, always down there. Well, yes. Where is that? Tampa. It's in Tampa. Okay. Yeah, that's where everyone's it's been a, buying them. It's is it like Pinellas County proper, or is it in the city? It's in Tampa proper, um, but it's the suburbs, kind of. It's like it's like if Canton was single family, essentially, because it's like oh, like detached. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. If if Canton had detached homes, like it's like city, but it's not. Okay. Um. I'm booked through like August and the only times that it's open is when I'm going there. What's like the runner profile on that? Parties. Fair enough. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we set it up to be a party house. I mean, it's, it's like, we got like grass walls with light up signs and, you know, I think there's a sign that says, please don't do Coke in the bathroom or something like that. Some crazy shit that they set up down there. Um, but the people are probably doing Coke, taking pictures in front of that sign. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, money's money. (laughs) My buddy is a partner of mine that, 
run. So we started this like small, we're in the process of growing um, property management, like short-term property management company down there. And he's a partner on that house with me and he's taken over the property management and he just takes 10% of whatever we collect. Okay. So, but, so what do the numbers look like on that? Like, how'd you find it? Give us a little rundown. So that one, I, I was looking in Florida for a while. Uh, I was really, really, I was looking all over. I really you're, liked. You're down there a lot, aren't you? Anyway, yes. for fishing and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bunch of friends down there. Um, I'm big into fishing. Like January 3rd, I'm driving my boat down there and it'll stay there from January through March until April. Um, so I go there a lot and I always just wanted a place to escape the cold weather. Tampa made sense because I started to see like the team that I could potentially have. I had a guy that I manage his portfolio here who does like some con like he's done a lot of contracting for his own properties, not maybe not other people. And then my my other buddy, Christian, who's the manager, he's an agent, insurance broker and mortgage broker. So he, like he's got that all on lock. When we were looking, we found this house it was listed for eight fifty originally. And I like loved the house, but it was way too much. Like it was they were asking way too much. It was right at the time where things started to kind of get unsure in the markets and especially like we were at the top, top peak, I felt like when I first made the offer. Um, I offered like six twenty-five, just like threw it out there. This was in uh I don't know, early mid last year. And what was the list of that? Eight eight seventy five, okay. eight fifty yeah. or something like that. Um, so it was a crazy low ball offer. Yeah. Like I was just like, you know what, I love this house so much. Um, it's vacant, the lady owns it. Like there's no mortgage, she needs to get rid of it. So it turns out this lady was like one of the most wealthy Latina ladies in um, Tampa. She owned like a bunch of commercial units and a bunch of stuff. So she said, no way. Then I think we offered, like we went, we went up a little bit. She said, no way. Th and then like five or six months later, she contacted my, well, we saw a price drop. Yeah. We reached out to her agent. And we were like, hey, like, are you considering? And they're like, no, like, you're still a little too low. And I think we went up to 645 was like our final look. We was like, this is where it makes sense. They're like, no, no, no. Two months later, she calls us. She's like, she needs to, she needs to get rid of this property. She'll take, she'll take, no, maybe I was at 635. She'll take 645 and she'll sell or finance it. Oh. So I was like, huh. Now I'm interested. So I, I ended up getting, um, I ended up putting 100K down and seller financed the rest at six, 645. And she gave me a six and a half percent rate, was, which is like was now. Was seller financing fantastic. something that you had brought up as an idea or? Yeah. Yeah. Because I knew she had it outright. Okay. So I, I knew she owned it. So I, I was I was like, hey, like if we if we could give you a little bit more, but you sell or finance it, we were kind of negotiating uh, that way. And then she ended up taking the deal. Um, so we pay her the mortgage every month, and we have a fifteen year balloon. But like we got a six and a half percent rate, so it's great. I can't believe you get a fifteen year balloon on it instead of like a five. Yeah, usually. I mean yeah. most I mean, most times when I'm doing a seller finance deal, like she tried ten one year, three years. She tried ten, yeah. and I said. I think she tried, I think we were like, maybe my numbers are a little bit messed up, but I think we started at like initially like 75K down, a 10 year balloon. And then I said, what about I put a hundred down, 15 year balloon, just to give myself a little bit more runway yeah. for rates, you know, just, just so I can kind of pick and choose. And she, she went with it. Um, my, my all in nut there with like pool, pool maintenance and all that other stuff. It's like 5,200 bucks a month and like 
January, well, not January, because I'm spending a bunch of time there, but February, March, where we're making like $10,000 a month each month. Um, and then April, it's like nine, eight thousand, nine thousand. So like during this winter, it's been really good. I can't tell you how and much. So then your buddy charges to manage it, and then you split profits after that. Yeah, we yeah. just keep it. You know, we just keep let it, it keep it in the house. Yeah, it just stays in there. And I can't tell you if it, we've made any money yet or not because I, I have spent a bunch of time there, which you know has lost profit, obviously. Yeah. But, but the whole other, goal there's other value in that. Yeah, the whole yeah. goal of this house was not to profit. Like the neighbor's house just got knocked down they're building two million dollar homes on it the house behind us i just made an offer on it's like a run down tampa st pete shack like you if you know if you've been to that area and you see like you know these little shacks they're like 600 square feet i can picture it in my head yeah you know little roof like um on slab we made an offer on that and they're not willing to budge yet but like the once that house sells there's like million dollar homes attached right right next to us yeah. brand new homes with so, that one you would tear down and re rebuild the one that? behind us yeah it would have yeah, to be yeah. yeah there's no there's no way to is the lot big enough yeah they're all like 0. 0.4 acre lots so they're nice size lots yeah. and the one to the right of me is a double lot so they but that's the lot sold for half a million dollars on that one so mm -hmm. i was like oh let them i'm not ready to buy build two houses down there i heard so. it like pinellas county in general their ADU laws or some of the like lax. Yeah. Country. So, th so th one of the, uh, that's part of the reason I probably should have mentioned this. We bought that house is because it has a garage converted. So it's got, um, the only thing it doesn't have is a bathroom directly in the garage. It actually has an outdoor bathroom, like for the pool. So we're in the process of trying to build a garage bathroom in there, but they can fully converted the garage to a unit. So we have a bed, a kit, little kitchenette, and um, couch and TV and everything down there. So it's like kind of a fully separate unit in case we, one of us, want to go down and there's guests in the other side. So do you? Uh, we've yet you to rent do that. out that smaller unit on short term too. No, right now we open. Right now we've kept it open. Like okay. we haven't ever stayed there because there's no bathroom. We would have to be. We'd have to share. Ooh, okay. We'd have to share yeah. the pool bathroom. Like there's an outdoor bathroom that comes with the for the pool. Um, but it would be weird if like a family and their kids were there and I was like walking in the bathroom to shower yeah. from the garage. You're super host. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, we haven't, we just kept it open for tent for guests now and they've, you know, put people in there. And I think like on uh new year's, we have like 18 people staying there. So how many bedrooms is it? So it's like three beds. So we've, we've decked it out with like beds and couches. Yeah. So it's like, all Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have like a king size bed in the master bedroom we have like a king size bed a queen size bed and a couch with the pull out and then in the other bed we have like one room that has just a single queen just to like give somebody privacy if they want yeah. and then we bought bunk beds for the third space um and then a couch and then in like the living room we have like two massive couches that that fold into beds and then in the garage we have two couches that fold down yeah. into so we've just stacked it with beds yeah, and like we really are targeting the party yeah 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 the and we charge the 18 to 22 year old yeah. spring breakers yeah they uh, well because we charge extra per person and like we there's different fees that you know they they've charged and we haven't had like a bad we haven't had bad luck yet and you know hopefully we we continue to have good luck and like i said if if it breaks i'll fix it like it's just what it is. Like I'm a general contractor too, so I, I can fix most of this stuff. Yeah, it's funny. So whenever I'm at a property with um, clients and you know needs rehab, I always view everything that needs to be done as not a big deal. It's just right. What's the dollar? To f like we're looking right. at this water problem the other day. I'm like, 
I'm like, oh, it just needs a French drain here. Like, it's not a big deal. But like right. to the everyday person, like all these things, when things break, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But they're just small problems that you throw money at and fix. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. I think a lot of people don't have escrow accounts for their investment properties. They think every dollar of profit they make goes back into the next property or whatever. You need to have a buffer. Yeah. Or it will become stressful. Because shit breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't, I think I see that a lot with investors that are so over leveraged, especially, you know, not going to mention names, but I, I do interview a lot of people and I talk to them and then we, you know, off the air or whatever, we, we talk about how much reserve capital you have and these people that have 50, 60, 90, 100 houses and you got 100,000 in your bank account, I'm like, so that means you have $1,000 for every house, that's it? Like, that's that's like, that's a really dangerous number to be playing with when you're scaling your business, you're leveraging everything to get to this number of units and you only have 100K liquid. Like, you better start putting something somewhere to, to save yourself because eventually it comes falling down. And a lot of them are leveraged to as high as they can be. And so, like, any slight downturn in market and, like, all their equity is wiped out. Gone, right. Um, I see that. It, it always seems to be Pigtown investors. I feel like I see this every five years. Pigtown goes up quick and then, like, right after the Freddie Gray... Um, Murders, right? Picktown dropped twenty percent. Right. So, like, I feel like everyone who always buys a hundred units in a uh, Picktown gets wiped out every time the market shifts a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and those tenants, unfortunately, you know, those tenants in those areas, a lot of them, if you're going market tenants, they they lose their jobs, they change jobs a lot. Like, they're not living as steady life. So, you have to have that backup to like cover your mortgage. What if they don't leave and they're now squatters, and it takes four months, like? You're gonna pay whatever fifteen hundred bucks your mortgage is per month for if you don't have nine thousand dollars, then you're screwed. You're gonna you're gonna have to do something to forfeit some properties, whatever. We've recently tried to like really take a look at our leverage position and make sure like I'm trying to be as close to like fifty percent of the entire portfolio. So like we have a little bit of buffer room and then profits have to go into like some sort of we've just did um like a managed fidelity account where now we can borrow against that if we need it. But like that money is liquid if something were to happen. And I I think that right now, especially where like next year could be a big year, it could be a really not so good year. So we don't know. And I think having some, having a war chest is really, really important. Especially when the market does shift, having that war chest, because that's when the deals are there. Absolutely. That's, I I interviewed. That's when you get to take advantage of those over leveraged investors that need right. to start unloading stuff. Absolutely. I, I interviewed somebody last night. His name is Tay Sweat. He's a really cool guy. Lives in Puerto Rico now. Actually, like, lives in Jake Paul's neighborhood. Like, super, super loaded. Made all his money in stocks and Bitcoin and whatever else. And he's now going to start buying with me because he's cash. He's got millions of dollars in cash. And he was trying, he's starting to buy real estate. He's buying in Tennessee now. And I'm like, dude, just if you have cash, like we can take over Baltimore because all these people are so leveraged right now that this year when we're refinancing DSCRs at nine and a half percent, 10 percent right now, buy it in cash. Yeah, especially right now. Right now is gold mine. If you can ride that difference, because when rates start to go down, it's going to be madhouse again. Right. And then refi the portfolio in a year from now when it's four, maybe, maybe. It's 4%, 5%. You've just bought all this stuff in cash. Now you get a big refi check, tax-free check. Here you go. Here's a big loan or LOC. And now you go to town, you know? Man, he should develop like 
We're we're talking about doing a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got he's got money. Yeah, like I, he was telling me yesterday, like one of his trades, he made two point eight million dollars recently, like on Bitcoin. So that's one trade. Like he's you know he's playing with big boy money. And when he made like a couple of monumental trades back when the stock market went crazy, though some of these people put tens of millions of dollars in their accounts. Like Bitcoin went down to thirty three hundred dollars, and he at that point had like thousands of Bitcoin, you know, and now it goes up to $47,000. That's that return is insane. You got so much money. So now he's taking that money and pushing it into real estate. And he bought like a beachfront condo for like, God knows how much. And he's like, I'm not making much money with it. I'm like, well, I could have told you that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not like the ideal space. Like you'll appreciate probably, but the cash flow is not there. So I'm going to try to sell him a bunch of bunch of stuff or let's build some condos something like that yeah well i don't know if i'd build condos right because condos in baltimore the projects are very often not successful hear me out though just based on the one that i sold last year so my sample size is literally one (laughs) well that's (laughs) good it's better than zero i'm going off of vibes alone right now guys there is a value in the baltimore condo for the type of buyer we're looking at the popkins late 20s, early 30s, they have money because they want like the extra level of security. They like the neighborhood, but they like the security of the condo. That's why those ones on the Fell Street one, when I met, I actually spoke to all the tenants. They've all been there for 20 years. They don't sell those units. That's why they're never for sale. Yeah. I think I went to that property, right? I estimated a bathroom or something for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. 960 Fell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that I like to do right now, especially because we have to play in a certain kind of ball field. And I've learned this the hard way where on the contracting side, like my jobs, I'd like to keep them at like quarter million to like a million dollars. Because when you get like into these multi-million dollar jobs, you're competing against like the whiting turners of the world. And like, I can't do that. So I like to stay bigger than the one guy with a truck, the blue collar contractor with a truck but smaller than that Whiting Turner type person. So like we're building new development, like we just did two four unit buildings, which like Whiting Turner doesn't want to touch, or I'm saying them because everybody knows them, but there's a lot of other big boy contractors that will crush me. Like I can't compete with them on these contracts. So those jobs that are like quarter million to a million, there's very few people in Baltimore that are doing them. And I'm kind of trying to just stay in that lane and just niche down and do that. Where generally are the like the multi-units that you're building? So the one I just built was, uh, the last one I just built was 601 Richwood, and that's in 21212. So good zip code. Um, brand new brand new units, you know, sprinkler system, um, all new mechanicals. I got, you know, everything's obviously brand new. I did a parking lot there, so it's private parking. Um, that's what I really want to, like, niche down and focus on is those, and it's not, it's not a great, great area. It's not Canton, but it's also not Edmondson. It's very much like and you don't have a can't attack my crushing like two bedroom rents are like 16 1700 bucks two bedroom one bathroom apartments good thing. which is that's yeah, good it's pretty good it's good yeah and the taxes are going to be lower too. yeah the taxes are lower and it's it's just like if i can stay in that lane and focus there then there's no other competition like I, a lot of people i feel like get that shiny objects and like oh, i want to do and my business partner's guilty of this he's literally been driving to new jersey every single week to trying to redevelop this big building into a parking garage, which like it's the, the purchase price is like 6 million, the renovations, 8 million. Like it's a crazy, crazy deal. 
he's dealing with the mayor of Asbury Park, New Jersey and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Like we will, we could make a boatload of money, but we can also make a boatload of money if we just did like three of these deals, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at. And not have to go to New Jersey. And not have to go to New Jersey, <laughs> not have to hire consultants and, may, and go to the mayor's office and do all this stuff. Like, I'm like, if we can and just- hit some snag that you never knew existed that right. could derail your whole thing. Well, and that's what I explained to him. I said, we've already hit all the snags. Like we've fucked up so many times, if I can say that, you know, it's like we've messed up all this stuff already. Like we've learned the hard way. Now you want to learn another lesson that could be way more expensive. Like I just would just say, like, let's just do these projects over and over and over again. And you make a bunch of money. Yeah. And these clients you're building for, are these previous resale clients that you're working with or these new? Um, so this one in particular is Trias Lending. So I, so I do all of their construction, all their property management. I take over all the properties that they foreclose on and I do all that stuff for what them. What are your big lenders you work with? They're my biggest client. Biggest yeah, they're great. They're uh, one of the largest uh, hard money guys mm -hmm. in Baltimore right yeah. now. We've had multiple loan officers from them on, on our podcast. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. only a few really that do a good job and I feel like I end up referring the same three. They run a big debt fund. I mean, yeah. they, they are massive, massive debt fund. Like, they, they do a good job of it. Um, and they feed, they're very loyal. They feed me all the work. They know, like, my value. And we have a really, really good working relationship. So. Are they who you use to close Wes and Dan's deal really fast? No, actually. No? So they're my first call, always. I always call them first. And Dave was like, Ryan, I would move the world for you but I literally cannot close tomorrow. Like, he's like I cannot send you $300,000 today. Um, and Sean Magner was my second call, who I oh. just had on my podcast oh, yep. the day before. He was on my podcast like 12 hours earlier. And I'm like, hey, man, you got $300,000 for me? And he's like, yeah. Actually, no, my, my second call was was Kiri with Kane, Kane Investments. And she was like, I don't have it right now, but I know for a fact Sean does because Kane lends to Sean, who then re-lends it out. Yeah. And she's like, I know for a fact Sean does. So I'm like, okay, great, Sean. It's like, Sean, can you- Can you, can you Venmo me $300,000? Can you put 300000 in escrow today? And he's like, I think I can. And I was like, all right, great. Let's make it happen. See, and this is the stuff that happens when you're experienced and you develop a track record. The banks will start to work with you more. If you're brand new, don't expect to get. The banks still hate me. Yeah. Well, I was going to say. The banks still hate me. I don't know if Sean and Brooke yeah. what I call the bank. Yeah, no, he's definitely not the bank. I hate the banks and I'm like, I'm pay, I always pay the convenience fees with some of these things because like, I literally, I tell people this all the time. I, I went to the bank recently to get a boat loan for my boat. It was $35,000. Like. The amount in my account, I could have paid for this boat over and over ago. and over yeah. again. And I went to my bank where that holds all of our money. And I'm like, hey, I'm buying this boat. I'm going to get a loan because I knew I was also going to be buying a truck. So I was yeah. like, I, I could do one in cash. I was like, I need to get some money. They said, OK, yeah, no problem. No problem. This freaking loan, they dragged me through the mud. Like, drag me. Oh, you need to send me this. Can you send me LOEs for anything over any deposit over $10,000? I'm like, I'm a general contractor doing $6 million a year. Every deposit's over $10,000. They're, they're payments to me. What do you need? Like, what else do you need? Then they, they, they said, oh, well, your, your wife has the, the house in her name, and then you got a, your DTI. I'm like, what are you talking about? What like, what is this all? What, what matters here? And then I finally said, I called my banker and I said, I'm, 
I'm just going to buy cash. I can't do this with you guys. And he's like, just let me, let me do something. Let me, and, and I ended up getting it closed. I ended up getting it closed. And I'm like, this is the hardest freaking thing. I, I've bought, I bought properties and I've called the people and I'm like, Hey, can I have this money? And they're like, sure, here you go. <laughs> Boom. There's the, there's the thing. And I'm like, you know, the, the bank, you're taking the asset, you're take you know, you have the lien. What else do you need from me for this $35,000 loan? They did a, a a home equity line on my property, on my personal house recently. This is just, I'm going to just keep bashing the bank, but, and it's not just my bank. I love my bank, but it's all banks banks. and underwriters. There are these people I'm convinced they're just little. You're talking big bank or like credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, big enough. I think underwriters are like troll like people with glasses and like very, they, they look weird and they sit under the table. And they, they have their computer and their calculator and they're just like, how can I say no to this loan? How can I say no to this loan? They, my, my personal house, I, we, we wanted to get, we're putting an addition on, right? And I wanted to get a loan, a, a, a home equity loan. The house is paid off. It's worth $800,000 right now. They tried to get a full appraisal done for a $130,000 home equity loan. Try to charge me $700 for an appraisal. I'm like, you guys are going to charge $700. You're going to send an appraiser out here for a $100,000 loan on an $800,000 property? That's insane. <laughs> I'm not paying that. You don't have an automate, automated valuation model to and say. Like, they finally did. Yeah. They finally said, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. I'm like, I had to call you for this. Like, You're just like, you guys are silly. This is a silly, silly business. I had a uh, bank underwriter once getting ready to deny a loan, and their reasoning was, you didn't disclose this house The that you own in Massachusetts. I'm like, what, what house? And they gave me the address. I recognize the address, my childhood home. And I'm like, what year was that house purchased? Was like 1986. I'm like, I was seven years old. (laughs) Maybe we use some logic here and say, I, at seven years old, I couldn't have purchased that house. Maybe it was my father. Is your dad's name Russell too? He's Russell Brazil too. Yeah. But like, right. There's social security numbers attached to these things, like different middle names. Like how about some logic? And like, I had to argue for like a week with an underwriter about a house I could not have possibly purchased when I was seven years old. What bothers me is that I maybe you I've never been able to talk to an underwriter. Oh no! You could only talk to the broker or the person. I'm like, let me talk to this underwriter. Yeah. Right? They say, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let me at him. Let me at him. Let me get in that under that desk in that cage. You guys keep them people in. Like that. Those people to me, I'm like, God, you're just you're just trying to ruin people's day. Sometimes that's how I feel about them. Sorry if you guys and are yet, no, I got underwriters. And yet, getting the person with the three percent down loan with the bad credit and the high DTI, we can get yeah. them into a house super easy. Yeah, my, but the the people making. $500,000 a year. But they're the ones they make the money off of them because they can milk them for a $700 yeah. appraisal. Well, they don't know that that's it, not. You know, it's funny too, though, because like something's off with certain things because now the the week after I closed on my boat, I call my, now I have to pick this boat up in Florida. So I needed a new truck, a bigger truck. So I called my bank. I said, you guys already have all my info. Can I buy this truck? They're like, oh, how much is it? I said, nine, whatever it was. They said, okay. Well, let me just check your, your blah, 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 whatever. Like, it's going to take three to four days to get back to you. I drove to the Ford dealership and I said, hey, I want this truck. They said, okay, hey, where, where do you want to sign? Like, <laughs> here's the money. Like, they, it wasn't even like they, they pulled my credit probably in the back, but it took 10 minutes to buy that property, yeah. that, that, yeah. that 
truck. And like, I was like, okay, so these underwriters clearly saw something that these underwriters didn't, or there's just like different rules for every, for every lender. And like auto default rates are so incredibly low. Like why aren't people just handing you money to buy a car? Right. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I think the default rate's like 1% on a car loan. And I would think it'd be a lot higher. It's really, well, it also depends on the, zip codes and things of that nature. Well, yeah, but, I mean, they hand them out, yeah. like... Yeah. yeah, but that was the easiest thing I ever did, where the bank was like, I need four days to let you know if you can buy this or not. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I assure you I can buy it. it. Yeah. It should be able to be typed into a computer that spits out yes or no right then. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, put in, my, put in my social. It tells you my credit. It tells you how much open credit I have, how much debt I have, all the things. Just tell me that I can buy it or not. Like... <laughs> And I th- I had an easier time buying like a house when I, w- I bought my first house when I was a teacher making $35,000 a year. I literally had an easier process doing that than getting my boat because I'm self-employed now. Yeah. It's yeah. that that to me, I'll never I'll never actually understand. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can cry I cry about it on your boat. Yeah, that's what I'll do. <laughs> sometimes I actually find it easier than like um I've done this in the past, not with my car and car, but like instead of getting a car loan, I just take a use my line of credit I have against my stock portfolio, which usually has a better interest rate right. anyways, yeah. and buy it with that. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to do. If Ford said no, if they were like, for some reason, no, or it was crazy, I was just like, all right, and I'll just buy one of them. I'll buy the truck in cash. One of the things, you know, you, you just buy in cash or whatever. But the, yeah, the whole underwriting thing, like, I don't know. I've never actually met an underwriter either. Like, I don't even know somebody that does that for a job. Wizard people. I don't think they're real. They're not. They're just like make believe AI generated. It's what we try to point they they try to point blame to and like right. there's no one actually there. Right. Yep. That's that's it's like transaction good. managers. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a really good transaction coordinator right now. We do now too. Thank yeah. goodness. She's been really really great. I'm actually switching brokerages. I have to switch brokerages with my team. My um I think Lux Realty, Diana Khan, she's my lawyer too. So, so I'm trying to go there because she has a title company. And I want to keep more things under the roof. Um, but my broker now is selling or getting rid of his, he owns Mr. Lister broker. You know Mr. Lister? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So he owns that. And he was like, I'm getting rid of my other brokerage because I'm focusing more on Mr. Lister. They're doing crazy numbers with Mr. Lister. So I was like, he's like, you want to come over here? I was like, absolutely not. I don't, I can't. Like, you can't really go over to you because... I haven't officially like said I, but I basically said I can't be attached to a brokerage that lists properties for nine ninety nine, because then if my clients that are in California Google my brokers that I'm now advertising on my advertisements, the P Home Group of this, why are you charging me two percent when uh, oh. your your brokerage is doing it for nine ninety nine? That's literally just a service to get it on the MLS. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. It always- but it's very good for like savvy investors who don't want to pay on one side and are willing to, you know, open the door for people and answer phone calls and whatever else. I mean, this is a position in the market for them, right? Not, not, like not everyone plus. needs a full service agent. No. Uh, no, most people do, but particularly in our world with investors, a lot of them don't. Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's also the ones that think that they don't, but actually do need. <laughs> yeah, of course. Those are the people that, that are, and, and kind of, I think the, 
the Mr. Lister model is like we we lock them into the nine ninety nine listing bare bones thing, but then I'll sell them on, on else. the okay. Well, do you actually want us to answer the phones, or do you want to answer the phones? Do you want to sign? Do you not want us? Just all these things yeah. that you can now a la carte kind of charge them, and eventually you're like close to a yeah, you're at five percent. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you're close to that number anyway. But I just didn't want to be. You know, and I I love Jeremy's great 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 broker. He's been great to us, but I just like I can't uh, I can't be like attached to a discount brokerage. It just didn't make sense. So bringing my team. If you guys were closer, I'd come come to you guys. I have the same problem. You're too too. damn far. Amazing, Arla's amazing, but with Baltimore, it's tough. It is. Yeah, it's it's so far. It is really far. But you know, so one thing we haven't talked about. Tell us about your podcasts. You guys oh, been yeah. growing that like crazy, right? Yeah. So it's funny, like we've all known each other now for a few years. And the only way that I'm here is because my new VA like reached out to one of you guys, I think, probably. Yeah. Well, so, that's not a well, pl- that's not reflective of you. It's that we're terrible at planning. Yeah. Well, I told him this is my this is what like one of the things that is his job is reaching out. I we have like a boilerplate email that we made to a bunch of podcasts trying to get me as guests. And, you know, reaching out to everybody, not just Maryland people, like everybody. And he's like, at the end of the day, he's like, oh, I reached out to this person, this person, this person, and Russell Brazil. I'm like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> if this actually works out, like I've known Russell, he's been on my podcast. His co-host has been on my podcast. And literally like maybe a few weeks before that, like I said, Sarah, hey, why don't you talk to Ryan and see if he wants to come on the podcast? And um, like we talk about it, but like then just don't follow through. Yeah, that's why. What's why hiring things out to VAs and yeah. admin people is like, oh, it's really a life changer. Life changing. Yeah. The hi- hiring that person. Shout out to Carl. Um, it's been a life changing experience, and I never. I always in my head was like, I need my in person assistant, which we have in the office. You know, we have the admin person in the office, but the virtual person, the money makes so much sense. Uh, the exchange rate's so good over there. And I'm out on the road. I'm able to do this. Like right now, there's somebody that knows exactly everything that's going on in my life, sitting in front of a computer, doing all the annoying things that I would have to do at 6 p.m. tonight when I got home. How are you tra- finding and training the VA? So finding them through Cyberbacker, who's a Maryland-based company. They're fantastic. Right. Literally down. the best company they're the best because they're the only ones I've used. But so don't don't take that to anywhere. But the the process was you met with them, you told them exactly what you were doing. All of their agents, all of their VAs were basically KW trained. So they started as a KW company, basically a VA company that somebody in somebody that owns a very big KW team in Maryland started this company. So they're all very much trained the KW way, which you know, everybody has their own thing, but they're militant with certain things. And you they basically give you five profiles and they say, these are five people. This is their resume. They send you a video of them introducing themselves, everything that they've done, the people they've worked for. Who do you, and you know, basically, or maybe it's like 10 people and you pick five, you interview them, like rapid fire interview. And then you pick out of those and you re and then you interview, do like a full form, like conversation. So there's like a very much sequ- sequential way of getting the right person. Once you pick them, they take them and train them on your systems for two weeks. So you don't pay during this time. So I'm not paying. And there are 10 days, 10 working days where I've now shown my rep what I do. Appfolio, 
like I tell them I'm going to do like Instagram. I want them to do my Instagrams, my Facebooks, the uh, Joist. And what I did was I made Loom videos. So just recording my my little face in the corner and every task that I wanted to give to this person, I did on a video. And then I also made a scribe. So there was a video and then, you know, scribe. It's What's an scribe? A- I don't know what that it's is. It's an AI platform that um, you go and do a task on your computer and it's taking uh, every couple of seconds, taking screenshots of your clicks and then it automatically makes you a PDF like instruction guide step by huh. step. So I had a scribe, a loom video for every task. I gave it to my rep and then they trained my guy now, Carl. So then when he started with me, he was like well-versed in Appfolio. He did all of the Appfolio training modules that you're supposed to do. Like he did all of them before we even met. He knew how to work Joyce where we write our estimates. So now it's like to the point where I'm at an estimate and I have my AirPod in saying, okay, Carl, first line project management, second line demo. This is what we're demoing, blah, 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 blah. By the time I get in my truck and drive away, he's written down my entire estimate. So when I get home, all I have to do is like reread it, enter in some numbers and I'm done. Very cool. So you're like on site telling him this. I'm, or- I'm actually recording... So I don't call him. I actually do voice memos. Oh. And so send I, that to him. And I send that to him so he can read it and listen to it, mm-hmm. listen to it, listen to it again. And um, like the amount of time that I'm driving, he's the entire time on the computer. Anything that I need, write this, do that. Um, Is he your time zone? Well, he's the opposite time zone. Hang on. We'll edit out the silence while we answer the door. <laughs> or maybe we won't because it'll be funny. People will be like, what yeah, the hell? yeah. Sometimes I just like leave that in, leave that in. Like, I think this is good content. Yeah. So, how much are you paying for your virtual ad- admin? Um, I pay $1,500 a month okay. on my Amex, which is like I get points back, which yeah. is great. Uh, so, it's it's 1500 bucks a month for 40 hours or uh, t- 40 hours a week. 20 hours a week is a thousand bucks if you wanted somebody part-time. But I was like, for the extra 500, like I'm full-time hundred yeah. percent. So my next employee, we're already planning, like my office staff, Cody and Jocelyn already, I've tasked them in taking all the things that they're doing that are able to be, I don't want them front facing to cl- owner clients and I don't want them handling financials. Huh. So those are the two things that I'm like, not going to have, you know, them, them take over. A lot of the stuff they can't even access from the Philippines anyway, like some .gov websites and some bank websites they can't get on anyway. Yeah. So basically, I've now tasked my office staff being like, okay, Jocelyn, you're handling the water bills. You shouldn't be handling them anymore. Make a Loom video and a scribe, and now Carl will handle the water bills. Once Carl's maxed out with work, my next, very next hire is another cyberbacker, another person from the same company. And now I have an automated training module with all of the videos of all the tasks. I love the the Loom and the Scribe stuff because I've had a VA before and I was terrible in explaining explaining what I needed them to do. And a lot of times I didn't know what they needed. So it's one of the reasons I like my in-person admin. She knows what to do without me telling her. And she knows like things that I don't even know I need done. She does them. Yeah. Yeah, but you're paying Philippines prices. I'm paying, paying substantially more. Uh, yeah. She's not doing, but like stuff... Well, podcasts and stuff. Yeah. I nerded out on YouTube videos of how to have a VA before yeah. I hired them because I've heard nightmare stories kind of yeah. like, like kind of similar. I had one for a year and a half and like. I mean, if you're spending as much I was time. Pay, I paid about 1500 a month and like I didn't get anything really for it, but it was 
mostly my own right. fault. That's right. that's the typical yeah. what I've what I watched, what I heard. Like if you don't use them right, they're just like a machine. Mm-hmm. What you put in, yeah. what you get out. Yeah. So I just said I'm gonna take the time to not only do the trainings, but I meet with him twice a day. So wow. religiously every single morning, and this is how good we've gotten. Like he's gotten. I don't even want to say me anymore, but like we meet every morning at 9 a.m. By 9 a.m., he has gone into my email and labeled all of my emails that came in from the na- the day before until then. So I have three in- three separate inbo- inboxes, like awaiting response, action required, to read, oh, it's four, and then to delete. And he goes through and just... So when, I, when I, we get on our nine o'clock Zoom meeting, all I do is look through those four quick inboxes and I say, all right, Carl, delete all those. Those are good. And then, oh, I got to respond to these people. Now those things like live in those inboxes until I respond or do whatever. And then I take them out. And like my inbox was a disaster before. My inbox now for the first time has zero every day. It's like at a certain point. Incomprehensible. (laughs) Zero. Where that was like all on him. Like yesterday we had a meeting with the SEO people for our website. He set that meeting up. He's like, hey, I don't think we're ranking as well on Google as we should. I'm going to set up a meeting with the with the website people. He like took it upon himself to call the website people, set up a meeting. I was on this call and it was basically just them two talking about SEO and editing the website saying, Ryan, is that okay? Sure. It looks good. Great. great done. Like, take care of Carl. Oh, I just sent him a Christmas bonus <laughs> and like, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. What time is it? So, he- so it's exactly 12 hours. So it's the middle of the night. Yeah. And all of this was actually a branch off of the segue, right? Because we just said Carl booked you on the show. Oh, the podcast. Like, yeah. we, we forgot. To, yeah. We haven't even talked about your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of the reason was I, I needed somebody to start running the social medias. Our podcast was somehow getting really good um, audio listens. Yeah. And I couldn't convert to Instagram and video and YouTube. Like yeah. I was. It just, so what is he doing to help with that? So he's posting everything. So every day posts go out. They're scheduled through, like I think TikTok, Instagram, everything is scheduled through the next two weeks. He's run all my Mailchimp campaigns. So like if you've if you've ever been a client of mine, you probably get emails from me from Mailchimp. Um, so he's running Mailchimp campaigns, which is like an email marketing yep. platform. If if you guys are familiar with that, um, so that's for the remodeling company, and then the the podcast. All of these content that I've paid Marcus to to curate like I have probably at this point 50 to 100 hours of me talking on video now Carl's going back and using editing software to create all the reels where like Marcus was doing them one or two reels per thing but I'm paying him American money and that's big that's a lot more than it's it's a lot of work and I was the amount of money I was spending I was like I can't I can only afford because the podcast doesn't make me any money besides these events that I end up giving everything away anyway. It was like, I'm paying him hundreds of dollars to come record and then to edit and then to make me per reel. This is getting exhaustive with finances. Like I like doing my podcast, but now at this point it's costing me thousands of dollars a week. I guess like, this is crazy. So Carl is doing all the video, all like the short form video stuff. And doing things like reaching out. I mean, I could, I can go on and on about the things that I just literally, I make, I'm like, oh, wait, you know, he can do this for me. Go on my computer, make a loom, send it to him and say, hey, can you take this over? Watch this video five times. If you have questions, call me, we'll do it together. And you guys have been getting great guests on your podcast. We've been trying. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest focuses. Like, Because I think with the podcast is like keeping people engaged and talking about it. Um, nobody really cares about the 
rental stories that we can talk about over and over again. It's like the guests are, and I like it because I learned so much. Yeah. Like there's no possible way that Ryan Greenberg could have asked half of these people to just come to get coffee with me and teach me about your business. Yeah. Like you have to offer them something. Yeah. Like I'm giving you a platform now and they're like happy to come do it. But like, you know, uh, Kelly Shewitt and James Weiskirker, you know, the, they're, they have the biggest real estate team in Maryland. I listen to them and ask them questions for an hour and a half on video and learned so much about running a big real estate team. So that gave me just like certain things to tweak in my own business. Brandon Turner, I got, I went to Maui and got to meet him and interview him and things that he said, like infilling with high level employees, like screw the money up front, build the business and the money will come. Like I took that really seriously and hired a high level person to run my property management company. Ever since then, we've grown by like 40, 50% because I was not hiring a $19 an hour admin. I was hiring this person who has profit sharing and, and this and that. Incentive. Incentives to be smart, to be a leader. To care about Right. Exactly. So all of those things, I was like pigeonholed. I was stuck in my own mind. I didn't know what was next. I was a gym teacher literally for 10 years. Like nobody taught me how to run two multi-million dollar companies. That was by luck that happened, you know, and I didn't know how to do it until I started talking to all these people. And I'm like, God, this is like free, well not free, but this is education that no... There's nobody else that could, well, somebody with the podcast maybe or, or some sort of incentive that could just call these people and say, hey, you want to come talk to me for an hour and tell me about all your stuff? Yeah. <laughs> like, you have very specific questions that benefit me and my business. Yeah. <laughs> I joke, I, you know, my lawyer, now she's like retained as my lawyer, but um, Diana Khan, DK Law, who who sponsored my last event, she just reached out to me out of the blue and or one of her admin tried to sponsor this event. And now since then, we've done like, business together. She's now writing my trusts. She's doing all of this stuff. She's referring me work all because, and when I joked with her on the podcast, I was like, all right, Diana, I have like, I have 25 questions for you because it cost me $450 an hour to talk to my other attorney. Now I'm going to get all these questions done yep, for free. Exactly. And that's like literally what I did. And, you know, now it's going to be a very fruitful relationship, hopefully for the both of us. But like, that was me just, shoot, I just got to shoot questions at an attorney. Yeah. For, that's often how I think about, uh, either having people on this podcast or going on other people's podcasts, you might pay them $500 to $1,000 an hour for consultation, right? Mm -hmm. But you can get that consultation for free if you just record it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you give it away to other people for free, then it's yeah. really free. Yeah. That's, what I, that's how I was, I was joking. I was like, you know, not only are we giving you're giving me this for free, but we're giving this out to anybody that's listening for free. And she's like, great. They still can't write their own trusts. Tell them to call me. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the, your podcast uh, name, the everyday millionaire show, the everyday millionaire show. Yeah. We, we made that name before YouTubing it like idiots and realized that Dave Ramsey has a very similar show called uh -huh. the everyday millionaire or something like that. Uh -huh. But I think it's actually helped us instead of hurt us. Um, and I'm going to use it as a way to go argue with Dave Ramsey about real estate investing. <laughs> oh. I'm hoping. You know, it's, uh, Ramsey is the opposite mindset of the most oh. of us in this business. Getting a car loan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That. Right. I would, I would love to. Um, so if Dave Ramsey or anybody is listening to this, I'd love to come, come Dave on Ramsey, your show. Come fight us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love we'll to. We'll get a fourth microphone. I just feel like there's certain things with his mentality, which is right, because there are certain people that aren't in control yeah. of whatever, of their finances, of like their own personal, like, can I 
borrow this and make it work or whatever. Like everybody is made different and I wouldn't be in this position here. I'd still be teaching and making whatever 70,000 probably by now or something like that as a teacher. Like if I didn't borrow money, if I didn't take a risk, if I didn't take some leverage, like I can't, you can't sit here and tell everybody in the world that that's the wrong thing to do. Well, some people do need, like you said, like a draconian reset on their finances. And if they're not like you, entrepreneurial, where they have this opportunity to make tons of income, they have to work with the set income that they have, then saving money. But he should say that then. Well, that's that's my opinion. But then Say he, that. But then in like from his perspective as a businessman, he's cutting down on his base of people. Right. He wants to convince everyone this is right. the way. When in reality, a lot of the successful people we know, at least in real estate, were once extremely leveraged, right. if not still extremely it, leveraged. It's really easy to say, too, when you're probably making like a million dollars a month off your YouTube channel to say that debt is bad. <laughs> that's, debt is bad. Yeah. But- I always yeah. like to say that the the difference between the poor and the middle class is the poor poor people are slaves to debt and the middle class have learned to conquer debt. But the difference between the middle class and the rich is the middle class have learned to conquer debt and the rich have learned to harness the power of debt. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's it's so true. I mean, and and I think the big thing is like this guy said it it's like the way you do something is the way you do everything, right? And like, if you're somebody that, and you know that you are not good with money and you, somebody gives you a half million dollars, like that's what literally happened to me where I was a teacher interested in real estate, sat down with somebody that happened to be my next investor that I didn't know. And he gave me, not gave me, he loaned me a half a million dollars. He held my hand through the first three <laughs> transactions because he was very experienced in it. But like, if if he didn't hold my hand through that, like yeah. there's no possible way that I would have been successful in that thing. And if you don't know and you don't hire somebody, you don't talk to a mentor and you, you know, take it with in the wrong way, then yeah, you could screw it all up. But I don't think there's like a one size fits all. Like this is the right way to do it. Right. All right. So tell the listeners where they can reach out to you for for all your various businesses. It's all, yeah. all the same place, I'm sure. But. Yeah. So um, I guess the easiest way probably is to find me is my website, pepropertymanagement.com or pehomeremodeling.com. It brings you to the same place. Um, I'm on Instagram, The Everyday Millionaire Show, Ryan Greenberg's 11 or something. I don't even know my personal Instagram, but my website has everything on there. Um, all the different businesses that we run, the podcast, contact info, um, and a little a little bio that my new VA wrote about me. So yeah. yeah. And seriously, when you guys are looking at property management in Baltimore, a lot of shady players in this space. Yeah, a lot absolutely. of people that are gonna steal your rents, your deposits, get you into Legal serious issues. trouble. Like finding good ethical property management in Baltimore is a must. Um, yep. And 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 construction too. The yeah. same thing goes for contractors. Like be careful if it's not me look on the websites and get reviews, get really people that have used these people references. I hear all the time contractors robbing people of deposits, this and that, like talk to people, get referrals, hire me, don't I hire me, whatever. I both property management and construction. We we appreciate it. We I always a lot appreciate of tire kickers though. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. That's what we deal with. That's the business, exactly. Well, thanks guys for having me on yeah, the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on and we'll uh, see you guys next week. All righty. That was a good episode. A lot of good yeah. topics. Good yeah. Stuff. That was good. Oh, man. I need a car. You do. To do like. I can make it under. 
Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts.